0: All right, so in Hebrews chapter 9, uh, before we start reading a few verses in here, uh, in the chapter before, we see God talking about this new covenant that was going to come. And in the very last verse of chapter 8, it says, In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. And then he goes in talking now about this first covenant. And then verily, the first covenant had also ordinances of a divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made. The first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold. Wherein was the first uh, was the golden pot that had the manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant, and over at the cherubims of the glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying, that the way into the holiest of all, was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect, as pertaining to the conscience. So, right here, whoever's writing the book of Hebrews, he's talking about that first covenant and how it had these earthly ordinances, it had an earthly tabernacle. Uh, it had the menorah, it had the table of showbread, it had that Ark of the Covenant, and the priest would go and he would do his annual sacrifice. He'd go in there once a year, but not without blood would he go in there. And he flat out tells us that that was something that was to be done for the time then present. It was a figure of something that was to come, and that something that was to come came with Jesus Christ. It came at Jesus' first coming. And so, He's showing here that that is over. That's done. He's talking to Jews here and he's letting them know you don't need to worry about a temple anymore. You don't need to worry about sacrifices anymore. Those are done. Those are finished. And we'll probably get back to this chapter uh, towards the end of this uh, message. But what I want to talk about tonight is the truth about Hanukkah. Now, Hanukkah just ended. I'm a little bit late on this. It ended a couple days ago. But uh, I forgot how many years in a row now. Every year during Hanukkah, I like to preach against the Jews because. Uh, a lot of people are duped on this subject, and and it's sad, and we need to be reminded of it, and so we just kind of made it a special annual thing on Hanukkah, in honor of Hanukkah, we preach against the Jews. And so uh, if you get offended by that, I'm sorry, just don't come around Hanukkah, and uh, you won't get offended. But, but we're going to do it. We've been doing this for a long time now. I don't even remember the first year. It's, it's been, I think, I think it was 2015, I think, I, I could be wrong. But anyway... So Hanukkah, if you're not, a lot of people aren't real familiar with it, but Hanukkah is a Jewish festival commemorating an early victory in the Maccabean revolt against the Seleucid Empire, the recapture of Jerusalem in the year 164 BC, and subsequent uh, rededication of the Second Temple. It is also known as the Festival of Lights. Now, most of us were not real familiar with that because you know we uh, don't have 1st and 2nd Maccabees in our Bible. And that was something that happened in between the time of Malachi and the time of Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of history on this. Um, you know, and it is in the Apocrypha, it talks about this time. And so for all these trendies that are always like bringing up, you know, you King James only, don't you ever read the Apocrypha? Well, you know, I don't believe the Apocrypha scripture, but I have read it. And you know what? We're going to actually read from it tonight. Okay. Not for scriptural purposes, but for historical purposes. Okay. We do not accept the, the, Uh, apocrypha as scripture. It, It definitely isn't. But Hanukkah, it is observed for eight days and nights starting on the 25th day of Kislev, according to the Hebrew calendar, which may occur at any time from late November to late December in the Gregorian calendar. The festival is observed by lighting the candles of a candelabrum with nine branches called a menorah or Hanukkah. One branch is typically placed above or below the others. And it is a, and its candle is used to light the other eight candles. This unique candle is called the shamash. And each night, one additional candle is lit by the shamash until all eight candles are lit together on the final night. So that's uh, mostly what it is. And since the 1970s, you know, the uh, Hasidic movement, they initiated the public menorah lighting in open public places in many countries. And so as far as Judaism goes, Hanukkah really is not a super important holiday, but it has gotten a lot of cultural significance uh, in North America because of the fact that Christmas was such a big deal that they needed to compete. So it's like they had to have something to keep their people from participating in the Christmas thing because Jews hate Jesus and they don't want any mention, any recognition Of Jesus Christ and so what they did is they just kind of like you know what let's make a really big deal about this event that I'm going to show you never happened and that they got from the Talmud and let's make a big deal about that so we can keep our people distracted from the message of Jesus because they don't even want to hear about him and they don't and you know and they they want to get offended if you even mention Merry Christmas to them and you know they want you wishing a happy Hanukkah And sadly, many Zionist Christians, they often give honor and recognition and respect to this holiday, not even realizing that it's recognizing a miracle that never happened. And worse, they don't even realize they're supporting a people that are in rebellion and in denial about the Messiah, especially when you realize what this holiday is celebrating, you realize you are supporting their rebellion. When you wish them a happy Hanukkah, it's a wrong thing to do. I saw a video the other day. It was one of these you know, Messianic Jews, and you know, Christians are all excited about this because they were talking about Jesus, how he was in Jerusalem on the Feast of the Dedication, which is Hanukkah. And so they were acting like Jesus was practically celebrating Hanukkah, and therefore it's this great, wonderful thing, and we ought to recognize it. It's like, wrong. You are, you know, Jesus also recognized Passover oh, but wait, there's a lot of Zionists practicing Passover today too. You know, they also did the Feast of Tabernacles. They also did, you know, the the Feast of Pentecost and all these things. You know, why aren't you making a big deal about those things? And they just like to pick and choose because they like to just throw bones at the Jews and try to, they think they're blessing them. And if we just do nice stuff and say basically bad things about Jesus, but nice stuff about the Jews, we'll get some kind of blessing. And that's how messed up they are in their heads. But Hanukkah, has become nothing more than a distraction to the Jewish people that something they came up with to keep their families from participating in Christmas in any way. And so uh, why is Hanukkah such a pointless holiday? And why should Christians reject any recognition of it? And first reason I want to show you is because the miracle of Hanukkah never happened. Okay. Now I'm going to, you obviously can't turn in there. If you go to the Bible in the foyer, uh, that King James replica, you could look at it in there. But in 1 Maccabees chapter 4, in verse 36, says, Then said Judas and his brethren, Behold, our enemies are discomfited. Let us go up to cleanse and dedicate the sanctuary. So, uh, you know, they had, the, the Greeks had come through and they had desecrated the sanctuary. They, that's the famous story where Antiochus Epiphanes came in and desecrated it. And they had control over it for a long time. And during this time, the Jews of these battles, they ended up getting that temple back. And so they're excited about it, and they're wanting to cleanse it as they should ha- have back then. And it says, And upon all that, all the host assembled themselves together and went up into Mount Zion. And when they saw the sanctuary desolate, and the altar profaned, and the gates burned up, and shrubs growing in the courts, as in a forest or in one of the mountains yea, the priest's chambers pulled down, they rent their clothes, and made great lamentation, and cast ashes. Upon their head, this was that holy sanctuary. And when they realized all that had been done in it, they rightfully were very upset. And it says they fell down flat to the ground upon their faces and blew an alarm with the trumpets and cried toward heaven. Then Judas appointed certain men to fight against those that were in a, in the fortress until he had cleansed the sanctuary. He chose priests of blameless conversation, such as had pleasure in the law, who cleansed the sanctuary and bear out the defiled stones into an unclean place. And as And when, as they consulted, what to do with the altar of burnt offerings, which was profane, they thought it best to pull it down, lest it should be a reproach to them, because the heathen had defiled it, wherefore they pulled it down, and laid up the stones in the mountain of the temple in a convenient place, until there should come a prophet to show what should be done with them. And they took the whole stones, according to the law, and built a new altar, according to the former, and made up a sanctuary, and the things that were within the temple and hallowed the courts. They made also new holy vessels, and into the temple they brought the candlestick and the altar of burnt offerings and of incense and the table. And upon the altar they burned incense and the lamps that were upon the candlestick. They lighted that they might give light to the temple. Y'all heard that right there? Furthermore, they set the loaves upon the table and spread out the veils and finished all the works which they had begun to make. Now on the 5th and 20th day of the ninth month, which is called the month of in the 148th year, they rose up times in the morning and offered sacrifices according to the law upon the new altar of burnt offerings which they had made. Uh, look at what time, at what day the heathen had profaned it. Even in that was it dedicated with songs and citherns and harps and cymbals. And all the people fell upon their faces, worshiping and praising the God of heaven who had given them Such good success. And so they kept the dedication of the altar eight days and offered burnt offerings with gladness and sacrifice, the sacrifice of deliverance and praise. They decked also the forefront of the temple with crowns of gold and with shields, and the gates and the chambers they renewed and hanged doors upon them. Thus was there very great gladness among the people, for that the reproach of the heathen was put away. Moreover, Judas and his brethren, with the whole congregation of Israel, ordained that the days of the dedication of the altar should be kept in their season from year to year by the space of eight days from the five and 20th day of the month Kozlu with mirth and gladness. So right there is where Hanukkah comes from or the Feast of the Dedication. Now, did anybody notice that story in there about how when they lit the menorah, they only had enough oil for one day, but it lasted for eight days. Did anybody see that? That wasn't in there, was it? But did you know that if you ask them when this miracle happened of the oil lasting eight days, they refer to the first Maccabees, but the problem is it doesn't say anything about it there. And it even mentions the menorah. It mentions the candlestick. And it mentions all these things that they did, but it mentions no miracle about that. You know why? Because it never happened. That was something that came from the Talmud 600 years later. 600 years later, they decided to write about this miracle that supposedly happened during that time. In the Talmud, the same place that said that Jesus is in hell, boiling in hot excrement. And if for a Christian to you know, act like this was some kind of event that actually happened, you are referencing the Talmud. You are not referencing history. You're not even referencing the Apocrypha. You are going off their superstitious pile of garbage Talmud where they teach all kinds of horrible things about Jesus. That's where that came from. That's where that story came from. And listen, there's no way they wouldn't have told us about this. They wouldn't have mentioned this miracle if if it would have happened. If it would have happened, this is where we would hear about it. But yet it's not there. There's one other place, I think in 2 Maccabees, where they just refer to this time in the Feast of Dedication, but there's no talk of a miracle of any way. And they'll talk about how that alludes to it. No, it, it alludes to the Feast of the Dedication, but not to this miracle of the oil lasting for eight days that is not in there. It never happened. So these Jews, when they're celebrating this miracle, they're celebrating a miracle that never happened. And so for Christians to give credibility to that is giving credibility to the Talmud, which we completely reject. We are against what the Talmud says. And so understand now, listen, no Christian read the Talmud and then believe that story. You know what they did? They listened to the Jews And just anything that the Jews talk about that's before the time of Christ, they just assume that they know more about that than we do. But folks, do we know more about the Old Testament than the Jews know more? They can't even figure out Isaiah 53. So we've got to stop. Baptists have got to stop reading commentaries by Jews on the Old Testament. That's one of the worst things you could do. That's one of the dumbest things you could do. It makes no sense. So this just never happens. So we're we're not going to celebrate something that never happened. We're not going to give recognition to something that never happened. Another thing that's ridiculous about this holiday is, one, there are no Hanukkahs or nine-candled menorahs in the Bible or in the Apocrypha. Okay? That we, we don't see that. Now, we do see where they did this Feast of the Dedication for eight days, but where do we see a lighting of a menorah the way they do it with one candle for each day? We don't see that. And this is an important thing that we got to understand. Uh, And something they obviously don't get because a Hanukkah is a menorah with nine candles. But in the Bible, they only ever had seven candles. You had the one in the middle, and then you had the three on on each side, adding up to seven. And so look what it says in Matthew chapter 25, because it's important that we understand the significance of this menorah. When you understand the significance of the menorah or the candlestick and the lighting of it, the candlestick that was mentioned in Hebrews chapter 9, that we read if you understand the significance of it you realize how foolish it is that they are even doing a fake menorah lighting to begin with it's a perversion of everything the menorah stands for and means but it says in exodus 25 31 and we don't often know a lot about these things as christians because we don't do this stuff we don't have these practices but it's good that we study these things because they these things do have messages that are important for us to understand. And clearly, Zionists don't understand any of these things. And they're the ones that worship the Jews, and they don't understand these things. But listen what it says. Exodus 25, 31. And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold, of beaten work, shall the candle be made. His shaft and his branches, his bowls, his knops, and his flowers shall be of the same. And six branches shall come out of the sides of it. Three branches of the candlestick out of the one side, three branches out of the candlestick out of the other side. Three bowls made like unto almonds with a knob and a flower in one branch, and three bowls made like almonds in the other branch with a knop and a flower, so in the six branches that come out of the candlestick. And in the candlestick shall be four bowls made like unto almonds with their knops, with their flowers, and there shall be a knob under the two branches of the same, and a knop under the two branches of the same, and a knob under the two branches of the same, according to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick. Their knops and their branches shall be of the same, and it shall be one beaten work of pure gold, and thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give their light over against it. And the tongs thereof and the snuff dishes thereof shall be of pure gold of a talent of pure gold shall he make it with all these vessels. And look thou that thou make them after their pattern, which was showed thee in the mount. So the menorah, this was a seven candle thing, not nine. It was seven and it was something that was placed in the most holy place, which was right outside of the Holy of Holies in that tabernacle. It says in Exodus 26, verse 34, and thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the Ark of the Testimony in the most holy place. And, thou, and the, So the most holy place or the Holy of Holies, that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And then outside of there, it says, thou shalt set the table without the veil and the candlestick, over against the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south, and thou shalt put the table on the north side. And then, so this was a very special item that was inside that tabernacle. And then in Exodus twenty-seven twenty, it says, And thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring thee pure oil, olive, beaten for the light, to cause the lamp to burn always in the tabernacle of the congregation without the veil which is before the testimony, Aaron and his son shall order it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever under their generations on behalf of the children of Israel. How long was the menorah supposed to be lit? All the time, forever. That's what they were supposed to do with the menorah. They were always supposed to keep it lit. That thing was always supposed to be lit. But you know what? This is another area where the Levites failed. We see in 1 Samuel chapter 3. This is significant right here. A lot of times we skip over this stuff because we don't pay that much attention to these customs and things they had. But it says, and it came to pass in verse 2, at that time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see, and ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of of the Lord where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep, that the Lord called Samuel, he said, Here am I. So notice Eli, who was not a very good high priest, who had two horrible sons, Hophni and Phinehas, all these men end up dying later on. He let it go out. He failed in his job as a high priest. And it's interesting, when that lamp went out, that was when God ended up calling Samuel. And God ends up pronouncing judgment on Eli and his sons because of how wicked they were later. And then they ended up being killed and then new priest comes in and replaces him. You know why? Because he failed. He didn't keep the lamp lit. And that wasn't the only thing they did wrong. But I think it's interesting that when they failed to keep that lamp lit, which was always supposed to be going, that was one of their main jobs. We see that's kind of when it sealed their fate and God ends up speaking to Samuel and begins a work there that ultimately is going to lead to these guys dying and them being replaced. So even though... Israel constantly failed God in their service in the temple. God would continue to forgive them and give them more opportunities. And eventually they failed so bad. God ended up allowing the temple to be completely destroyed. And what happened to that menorah? Does anybody know what happened to the menorah? Cause the menorah is mentioned after the Babylonians came in and after they destroyed the temple, you know what? They stole all of the holy vessels and look at what it says in Daniel chapter 5. This is another famous story and we see that candlestick mentioned in there. It says in verse Daniel 5 verse 5, in the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick. Remember Belshazzar, he's having his feast, his drunken feast, and you know what they decided? Let's use the vessels from the house of the Lord. They took God's holy vessels and they misused them. And when they did, they were done. The handwriting was on the wall. They sealed their fate. And the Medes and Persians came in. And notice how it specifically says that it wrote against the wall. It wrote against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed. And his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smoked one against another. So it's interesting how that candlestick is mentioned there. You know why? Because it wasn't supposed to be there. It was supposed to be in the temple. It was supposed to be in Jerusalem. It was supposed to be lit. But, and they got judged big time as a result. And that night they were taken over by the Medes and Persians. But you know what? Even after that, after the Babylonian captivity and that destruction, God still gave Israel another chance. And you know what God did? God, after 70 years, he brought them back to their land and then God ended up getting, putting it in Cyrus' heart to allow them to rebuild that temple. And uh, eventually they started building it. And in the book of Zechariah and Haggai, we see that those are the prophets that God used to stir the people up to get them finally doing the work of the Lord. Cyrus had told them, you guys can go back, rebuild your city, rebuild your temple. We're paying for it. But then they got lazy and weren't doing anything. So God sends these prophets to stir them up. And so they finally... They start building that temple. We went through all this when we went through the book of Zechariah, and I'm sure you guys remember every detail of that message, but we don't have time to go through the book to show you all of these things, but you may remember one of the chapters in there. Well, uh, look at chapter four. Right, look, at, look at chapter four. It says in verse one, and the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep. And he said, said unto me, what seest thou? And I said, I have looked and behold a candlestick all of gold with a bowl upon the top of it with his seven lamps there on and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof and two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl another upon the left side. So right here we see uh, that menorah mentioned again, or that candlestick mentioned again. And you know what? We know that there's a menorah that all of those things that were in the temple there, it's a figure of one that's in heaven. There's one in heaven. There's a menorah in heaven. A seven-candled one, not a nine-candled one. There's, there's not, and so that that nine-branch menorah has no significance anywhere in Jewish history that was before Christ. This is a synagogue of Satan thing. Okay, and we're gonna go back to Zechariah here in a little bit. This is a synagogue of Satan thing. He perverts everything. And okay? that's what he does. He perverts everything. Say, so, well, you know, they needed the eight, you know, so it would go with their feast of the dedication. Okay, I get it, but the thing is, don't pretend it's a menorah and don't pretend that that lighting of the menorah, that wasn't even something that they did. That's something you guys came up with later. Something you came up with trying to replace Christmas is what they're trying to do. And and so uh, this has nothing to do with Jewish history at all. So another thing we got to realize, we should not celebrate the dedication of the temple anymore because God is finished with that temple and it doesn't exist. It was completely destroyed. Because remember, that menorah, it went out, right? And God was upset with Eli over it. Well, here's the, here's the big question. Why would we celebrate the lighting of a menorah when the menor- real one is out? Think about that. Because y'all realize in 70 AD, the temple got destroyed again, didn't it? And that menorah, nobody knows where it is. Nobody, no, you know, it, it's gone. And it's not lit. They've got a replacement of it over there at the Temple Mount Institute, but you know what? It's not lit. It has no temple to dwell in. So let me ask you, why would you celebrate the lighting of a menorah when the real one's not even lit? It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. In fact, it's inconsistent with their practices that they actually had in the Old Testament. And, and we'll go into some more examples of that here in a little bit. But Because um, remember... In the book of Zechariah, uh, when they started rebuilding that temple, they came to the prophet and they asked him, should we continue this practice of weeping and fasting? They, after they, the temple was destroyed, every year they would have, I forgot how many days it was, a time of weeping and fasting, mourning the loss of that temple. And so after they started rebuilding it, they asked the question, should we continue this practice? And the prophet told them, hey, basically, have you learned your lessons? and, And then after he kind of went over all these things again, hey, let's remember why your temple got destroyed. After that, you know what he did? He said, yes, that's over. That's done. You don't need to practice that anymore. But notice when the temple went down the first time, they didn't have an annual celebration of the building of that temple. You know what? They had a time of mourning for the destruction of it. And then... When it came back, they went back to celebrating again. So it makes sense that uh, you know, during the Maccabee times, that they would have a time celebrating the rededicating of the temple. But that temple is gone. That temple is destroyed. So why would they celebrate the rededicating of a temple that's destroyed? You know what they should be doing? They should be having a time of, if we were still in an Old Testament time, they should be having a time of weeping and fasting. While we're all celebrating Christ has come to earth, you know what they should be doing? They should be crying and not eating. That's what they would actually do if they were consistent with their Old Testament practices that they have. But you know what? They're not consistent because they don't follow the Old Testament. That's a myth. They don't follow the Old Testament. And so for them to, to celebrate this, it just flies against everything that the Old Testament stands for, everything their history stands for. It's, an, it's inconsistent with their own traditions. So it's absolutely ridiculous, and we as Christians, we should not celebrate the dedication of that temple anymore because God is finished with that temple. It doesn't exist. It was destroyed. And ignorant Christians are acting like it's a wonderful thing just because the Feast of Dedication is mentioned in John. Now, turn over to John chapter 10. I want to point out a few things, too, and maybe bring this up. Anytime some Christian that just wants to geek out and put on a stinking... Yarmulke to show his support for the Jews and say happy Hanukkah. You know, bring this up if they want to bring up John 10. Well, I'll bet you don't know where Hanukkah is in the Bible. Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. Well, let's see what happened on Hanukkah in Jesus' day. It says in verse 22 And it was at Jerusalem at the feast of the dedication, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple of Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Now, we're not going to go through all of John chapter 10, but notice they just read the part where Jesus is going into Solomon's porch during the Feast of the Dedication. Jesus celebrating Hanukkah. Well, what happened at that celebration? You know what happened at that celebration? The Jews rejected Jesus. The Jews rejected Jesus Jesus is trying to preach to them. Jesus is trying and they're, and you know what they're doing? They're, they're accusing Jesus of blasphemy. I mean, they are having an all out assault on Jesus Christ. Just, I mean, defying him, accusing him of blasphemy, saying all these terrible things. Just read the rest of John 10. They want to just read those couple verses there. You read the rest of the chapter to them and show them how the Jews acted with Jesus. And let me tell you something. If Jews are doing anything, they're trying to practice the Hanukkah that they did back then, where they're rejecting Jesus Christ, blaspheming Jesus Christ, saying terrible things about Jesus Christ because they hate him. That's what it's all about. You know what? Their celebration they do today looks more like what we see in John 10 than what we see in 1 Maccabees. That's what it look, looks more like to me. It's just a rejection of Jesus Christ. They wanted to stone him in this chapter. That was how, this, that, was how that Hanukkah Ended. They wanted to stone Jesus. And your average Jew today will admit if they could do it again, they'd crucify Jesus again. They'd kill him again. They've said that many times, many of them. And so what did Jesus say about this temple that they made such a big deal about? Well, in Matthew 24, verse one, and Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. This is the same temple that was cleansed and rededicated that they had the feast of the dedication to. Same temple. And Jesus said unto them, see ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. So again, when, they, when it was destroyed the first time, they had a time of weeping and fasting. If they were consistent, they would be doing that today. Because it was appropriate for them to celebrate during that time, the rededicating of the temple, but the temple's gone. They should be back to fasting and weeping but in reality what they should do is they should just turn to christ but they're in rebellion and it is it's just a lie to act like that they are in any way shape or form doing anything that is even jewish old testament jewish at all it's not it's so backwards and it is it's foolish and backwards to promote any kind of celebration of a physical temple it's completely unbiblical Look what it says in Hebrews 9. And this is the message we're supposed to be getting to the Jews. This is something that we as Christians need to be sharing with them. And we're failing miserably in doing this. And we're not helping anything by just going along with this foolishness and encouraging it. And look what it says in, he- in Hebrews 9, verse 1. But We look at some of these verses. Let's look at them again. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary the first covenant had a worldly sanctuary but the world the first covenant is gone isn't it it's waxed old and it's vanished it's gone that sanctuary it's gone not just spiritually physically that sanctuary it is long gone and there is nothing left and we're in the new covenant so why would we you know and it, it blows my mind how many christians support the rebuilding of the temple. You notice how wrong that is? You realize that that next temple will be the Antichrist temple? There's no doubt about that. The first temple is known as Solomon's temple because Solomon was the one that headed up the building of that. The second temple is often referred to as Zerubbabel's temple, but then it's also referred to as Herod's temple because Herod refurbished that second one and made it much greater And so it's often referred to as Herod's temple, even though Herod was a bad guy, but he did a lot for the temple, so it's often named for him. So all the temples that they've had have been named for somebody. Well, the next temple, I believe the person who's gonna be involved in getting that thing going is the Antichrist. And I believe it will bear his name. And that's what people are wanting to support. That's what people wanna get, you know, they get excited about. That is gonna be the Antichrist temple. And listen, even if, The Antichrist wasn't going to have anything to do with it. To celebrate a temple made with hands is a rejection of Jesus Christ. It's a rejection of everything Jesus Christ did. So verse 2, again, it says, for there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread called the sanctuary. And we'll jump down to verse 9. We read all those. But it says in verse 9, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed until the time of the Reformation. Bible is very clear here that those sacrifices and things that they did, they couldn't cleanse anybody. They couldn't save anybody. But it was something that God had them do for the time present and it was only to be done until the time of reformation. And you know what? That time came. That time came and it's done. And it says, but Christ being come in high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered once into the Holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now, listen, a lot of times as Christians, New Testament Christians, we just kind of want to glaze over this stuff and not pay real close attention, but understand the book of Hebrews is writing to Jewish people, showing them that believing on Christ and following the New Testament is in fact obedience to the law because the Old Testament, it was the law. It was the law of God and it wasn't not perfect. It was a perfect law of God. And what many people were thinking is that a accepting Jesus Christ is a rejection of the Old Testament. And the writer here is showing, no, actually, you're not rejecting the Old Testament. Actually, this is following the Old Testament. This is right. This is what was prophesied. And so, while the changes were great and and you know probably overwhelming for them, he's basically going through and just legally showing them how everything Christ did took care of everything for you. That everything, you know, that, uh, Jesus Christ did it all. He's just go. He's basically, this is like the fine print. This is all the legal talk. See, we're Christian. We're, you know, we're as, as Christians, we're kind of like your average American when they go to get their taxes done. Okay. Now when you go to get your taxes done, you go and you throw some papers down, and we were talking about this before church, you throw your papers down in front of a tax preparer that enters them into a computer, and then the computer like figures out everything. But do you all know, for like everything you do, there's like a long form that you have to fill out. Back when I did taxes, when they were training us, they showed us how to fill all these forms out by hand, and there's all kinds of, I mean, there is so much to it, it's not even funny. Our tax code is so complicated, it's ridiculous. But every one of those things, there is like a ton of legal stuff that goes with that. Now, you and I, us average Americans, we don't really give a rip about that, do we? You know what we do? We throw those papers down, they punch in the numbers, and we trust they're telling us the truth, you know, give us our tax return, and then we move on. And we get our tax return, don't we? But you know, there's some people that, you know maybe there's that nerd out there that they wanna know the details. They want to know why they're getting the amount that they're getting. They're wanting to know, you know, how much this deduction helped them and all these different things. They might want to read all that stuff that those kind of things might matter to them. Some nerd out there. Okay. And for the Jews, they're going to want to know how this super easy salvation that's even getting all these Gentiles saved that don't know anything about the Bible there. They want to know how is this salvation not going against the law of God. How is this free salvation you're talking about, this once and for all salvation, how is that legal? And you know what he's doing? He's going through, step by step, through the book of Hebrews, showing how this is, in fact, legal. This does, in fact, line up with the law. We glaze over this stuff, and and because of that, we allow ruptards to come along and tell us that, this, that they teach you can lose your salvation in the book of Hebrews. Wrong. There is nothing in the book of Hebrews that teaches anyone ever could lose their salvation. You don't understand what you're reading because you, you haven't taken the time to study the Old Testament and these practices and things they did and, and, or to even look at the context of why they're bringing these things up. You have no idea. You just found a phrase that looks like somebody's losing their salvation, but you don't know why they're saying it. But this, I mean, the book of Hebrews is a very legal book and it's very in-depth, and it would have mattered to them. It doesn't matter to us because none of us ever sacrificed a lamb, did we? None of us never need, needed a high priest to keep a lamp lit for us. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. We, we've never needed any of those things, so we don't think about that, but they would have. And so I'm saying all these, and I'm showing you all these things too to just show how foolish it is and how illegal, according to the Old Testament law, it is for the Jews to have some of these practices they have today. They make no sense at all. They go against the Old Testament. They are in violation of the Old Testament. Let's read a few more verses about this. So it says in verse, or where do we leave? Verse 10 of the time of Reformation. It says, but Christ becoming a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building. I like this new tabernacle better because you know what? No Greeks can come through and desecrate this temple. No Greeks can do anything about that. They can't destroy it. We've got something better today. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of, of an heifer sprinkle the unclean sanctify it to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Those dead works were all those things that they were doing before to try to, you know, get permission for their sins. It says, For this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgression that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, There must also of necessity be the death of the testator for a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. And that's why Jesus Christ had to die. You know, for that Old Testament to be be finished, for it to be completed, the death of the testator, the one who gave that testament, had to die. Otherwise, it would still be good. We would all still be in trouble. But you know what? Jesus Christ died, but Jesus also rose again from the dead, and he has given us a new covenant and a new testament, and that one will also be good until the death of the testator, but guess what? Jesus has promised that he's never going to die again, so this testament's good forever. Now, the rucktards are still looking for another testament. You know, they're still looking for another one to come, not realizing for this one to be done, Jesus would have to die again, And Jesus already died once, and he will never have to do it again. So it says, verse 18, Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats and water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled it with blood, both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged without blood and without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into holy places made with hands like the temple, but Uh, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. So right there, we see what needed to be done in a temple that was talked about in the Old Testament. Everything that needed to be done in a temple was done in a temple, just not their temple. It was actually done in a temple made with hands. Therefore, Jesus still had to do some things after he died on the cross. All right, I hate to get sidetracked on that, but Jesus did have to go and offer and, and, you know pour out his blood on the mercy seat in heaven, okay? I hate to break that to some people, but that's just the case. And while he was on earth, Mary couldn't touch him because he hadn't yet ascended to his father. Well, wait a minute. I thought it was all finished. <laughs> I, thought, I, I thought it was all finished. No, he still had some work to do. And you know what? He still is doing work for us. He's still making intercession for us. He's still operating the office as a, as a high priest. Okay? You know what was finished on the cross? His bearing of our sins in his body. His, his you know, making that blood atonement. That was finished, but there's still work to do as a high priest. And, and, you know, and thank God he's still doing it. And therefore, we are eternally secure because it's not up to us. It's up to Jesus Christ and what he's doing. So verse twenty-five says, "Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others." Because this would be a question for Jews. Well, you know they had to do that. You know they had the annual blood sacrifice they did over the mercy seat. I mean, shouldn't they have to keep doing it? And he's explaining, no, he only had to do it one time. Says, "For then must he have often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once." In the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice himself, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So what it's explaining here is how Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, and what he did, it was good forever. You could, it, it, it was something he did one time, and it takes care of all of those from the past, and it takes care of all of those who will be saved in the future. That's what he's explaining here in Hebrews chapter 9, because if you were a Jew, you'd be thinking, well, what about all those things that we, you know, that they did before Jesus? So are you saying, since the blood of bulls and goats can't save anybody, that none of our forefathers got saved? And he's saying, no. Because that blood atonement that he did, it was good for them too. And those that were of faith and those who, uh, you know, believed like Abraham in the old Testament, Jesus Christ sacrificed. It took care of them too. And, and folks, you know, and, and I'm not so much talking about the new covenant tonight, but it just blows my mind when Ruckmanites act like there's still another covenant coming. And then they go to Hebrews chapter eight. And it's like, wait, I, I get, I, I, I don't have time to go into where they're wrong. On hebrews chapter 8 but there's no doubt what we're seeing in hebrews chapter 9 it's written to jews and it's talking about the exact salvation that we teach for ourselves jesus paid it all nothing but the blood of jesus i mean the you know how many songs are in our hymn books that are basically inspired by this chapter hebrews chapter 9 it's really an amazing thing and and so understand that temple never accomplished anything Jesus accomplished everything. So why would we as Christians celebrate a temple from the past? One that didn't get anybody saved. One that was destroyed. Why would we support and participate in lighting a menorah that's a perversion of the menorah that they had in the Bible, but also one that is done. One that is finished. One that the... the, the, Israelites and the Levites proved they couldn't even do that one thing of keeping the lamp lit Eli let it go out and then they let the temple get destroyed you know and and the thing is God would have protected them if they were right with God the reason the temple got destroyed is because God removed his hand of protection because they were so wicked it was judgment and even after God restored it and they were able to light that menorah again you know what they let it go out again it ended up getting destroyed, and there is no, they have no menorah day. They have no temple today. And so for them to just be you know, lighting this Hanukkah and celebrating this thing for eight days when the uh, you know, 357 other days of the year, there is no menorah lit, is just an absolute joke, and it doesn't make any sense at, at all. And it's completely contrary to all their practices that they had in the Old Testament, And so these sacrifices, these temples, all these things that they are wanting to push, it has been replaced by Jesus Christ. The high priest replaced by Jesus Christ. The Levitical priesthood replaced by Jesus Christ. The temple has been replaced for us to condone the celebrating of the the dedication of the temple that didn't bring salvation to anyone just so we can honor a people who reject the Messiah and want to build another temple is absolute blasphemy. It is absolute, bl- I will never wish anybody a happy Hanukkah. I won't, I won't do it. I don't care if they're wearing a yarmulke. I don't care if they got one of those big hats that they wear and wearing their long jacket and they got their curly locks and they're doing their little dance that they do. I'm, I'm not wishing them a happy Hanukkah. I'm wishing them a merry Christmas. You know why? Because Christmas. The coming of Jesus Christ, it was for them. Luke 2.10, we look at this morning, the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The Jews haven't got a chance of getting anything without Jesus Christ. They're participating in all of these customs and all these celebrations and things they have is, a re, is them rejecting Messiah, rejecting Jesus Christ, Christians? We cannot support that. We cannot. I'm not telling you got to be mean to them you got to just be jerks and things like that. But we're not gonna, we're not going to encourage them in their rebellion. That is wrong. You know what you're like. You're like that. You're like that person that comes along. Maybe that family, member, you got that niece or that nephew that's rebelling against their parents. And you let them come over to your house and dress however they want and watch whatever junk on the television they want. And you tell them how bad their parents are. You know how wicked that is for people to do that with other people's kids? That's super wicked. And you know what you're doing? You're taking the Jews and basically they're in rebellion against God and you're telling them, you're still the chosen people. You're still wonderful. Your practices are still good. God, I mean, God has, isn't doing anything for them. I mean, Why hasn't, you know, a lot of Jews ask that question. You know, Why hasn't our temple? I heard about one that, Uh, that got saved that was one of his things what he said what did we do so bad that caused us to not have a temple for almost two thousand years what did we do that was so bad you know what he found out you know what it was they killed jesus and you know what thankfully for him he got right and he got saved but somebody's got to tell them the truth about these things and when you're holding your hand and wishing them a happy Hanukkah, and then this is what makes me sick about these trendies and these Zionists, they get such a warm, fuzzy feeling when they do all this Jewish stuff, trying to make these people feel good, because they're completely ignorant of what the Bible teaches and what they're supposed to be doing, and they are encouraging their rebellion. And that's why when I hear these, I, I, I get angry when I hear them call me anti-Semitic. Really? You're going to call me the guy who's trying to tell them the truth? anti-semitic you know what you sound like you sound like the jews who told jesus he had a devil and was speaking blasphemy when he's trying to preach salvation to him that's what that's what you sound like and they do that i mean slew the other day i him saying we we're the synagogue of satan because we say we are jews or not yeah like are you kidding me wait like i mean for for one I, I shouldn't get sidetracked on this. But for one, okay, who was John writing to? He's writing to seven churches. There were people that were against the churches who said that they were not of God, that didn't think God loved them, and in talking to the, to the church. Okay, he said, I'm going to make them that are of the synagogue of Satan, them, those that are on the outside, that are saying these bad things about you and the church, I'm going to make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. And you say, we're going to be worshiping before their feet. Really? The church is going to be worshiping before the Jews' feet? Are, are you kidding me? Not even realizing, too, that he's basically quoting a prophecy. I, I think it's in Isaiah or Jeremiah, where God said the same thing to the Jews about how they were going to come and worship before their feet. It's the same promise that God gave to them But here's the thing, we are the people of God now and that goes to us. They are the synagogue of Satan because they reject Christ. Like, dude, you realize how much Ruckman Kool-Aid you got to drink to interpret it that way? That is so dumb. But you know what do you expect from a guy who goes to Mexico looking for flying saucers and who thinks that we're gonna inhabit other planets one of these days? I hope he finds a flying saucer and takes a trip on it. But he's not gonna find one. But this is the world we live in. This is the backwards world we live in, where people just—I mean—are literally, you know, blaspheming God in their practices, encouraging blasphemers of God, rejecters of Jesus Christ, and then calling people like us the synagogue of Satan. As a result, that's super weird. But you know what? It's the last days, and we were warned about stuff like this. So don't be surprised. Don't be surprised by it. But. Don't celebrate Hanukkah. It is an absolute fraud. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word and the clarity that you give us. We thank you so much for making salvation so easy. But God, I pray you'll help us not to be lazy in our Bible study. Help us to pay attention to those things they did in the Old Testament so we can get the spiritual messages from them and uh, so we can see that all of those things point to you. And I pray that we'll use these things that we learn so we can point Jews to you. We can show how everything that they did in the Old Testament all points Uh, to you, and I pray you'll help us to be able to reach people with the truth in that. In your name we pray. Amen.